Hello and welcome to Themed for Your Pleasure. I'm Chris, and with me as always is... Vanessa. And today we're interviewing... Uh, Corey Archangel. Now, Corey, we are here for... There's a special reason I wanted to interview you, but I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about some previous works that you've done. And in particular, one that blew my mind was a couple of thousand works about Glenn Gould. Oh, yeah. A, a couple of thousand... Oh, my God. I even forget the title now. <laughs> oh, my... A couple thousand short films about Glenn Gould. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, that's basically a recreation of Box Goldberg Variation Number 1 um, using... Uh, as opposed to somebody playing it on an instrument using tiny little clips of people playing it from YouTube. And that was like a kind of, I guess, a mashup in a way that I programmed, I think, in 2007. And so it's like a kind of uh, extreme video editing feat, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you actually designed a full program called, was it Gould Pro for that? Yeah, in order to, in order to kind of edit the video so precisely, it's, the fidelity is actually down to the sample level. Wow. It's, now, of course, the video doesn't have... Video was still 30 frames a second, but I actually determined how the video would be edited by how the audio was edited. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and so I wrote a... So basically, yeah, Gould Pro was a video editing software I wrote to, to enable me to edit video by using sample numbers as the kind of in and out points. Wow. I mean, that just... That takes, that takes not only gumption, as far as I'm concerned, to actually do a program to do that, but it's, it's a look at... The piece itself, with of course starting from the basis of thirty-two short films about Glenn Gould, uh, as j- sort of a jumping-on point for something that is then the next level forward. I think. Yeah, and I should also say that I've actually never seen that film. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I should. I should. That's disclaimer number one. And disclaimer number two is that uh, while the program does work, it is. I am a horrible programmer, and it. Barely work. I mean, I it worked enough for me to smash that video together. But if anywhere anyone else were to use the code, they would be horrified at how slow and sloppy it is. <laughs> so those are my disclaimers for that project. But yeah, it is a kind of like it was a kind of next level Gould. Like it was very much inspired by uh, video mashups on YouTube at the time, where people were getting really pretty complicated, and I wanted to try to take it to as extreme as I could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it actually, when I, because I remember seeing it when it first got to my eyes, would have been probably 2009-ish, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, I was watching in 2012, uh, was it uh, DJ Earworm's uh, Best of 2012 thing, and I was like, there are so many similarities here that it's, it's weird. The, the cuts are nearly as quick. Oh, yeah. I think that, like, basically... Uh with that kind of vernacular cut and paste culture, yeah, it got really, it it got it's pretty e- intense now. Actually, you hear it a lot in dubstep. Like, there's, the, the people are cutting together just these splices, and you'll you'll hear it a lot. Like, the music sounds fractured, but it's kind of a style now. It's very cool. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I wish I would have done known how to make pop music with it instead of making some artwork. But you know, that's for a next life, I suppose. It's, so overall, what are your general inspirations, like, other than just the YouTube videos? Was there anything else that really, like, triggered this? Um, yeah, I mean, I in college I had studied classical guitar, and so I guess it was my perform- my history of being a performer. And, and um, especially, you know, classical guitar, the kind of model of that is, um, like, 
like Paganini style shredding. And so my kind of history with classical guitar and heavy metal and guitar shredding was all basic. That was all kind of expressed in the video. Absolutely. All right. Who are your big musical influences then? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Well, definitely like stuff from when I was a teenager. And when I was a teenager, it was like, well, preteen, I guess first you'd, so I'd have to go with late Van Halen Guns N' Roses, <laughs> uh, Metallica, and then when I was a teenager, I got into tech, techno music, and so I was really into Detroit techno, like Jeff Mills and Drexia, and 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 then I fell out of music for college, you know what I mean? Like, or a little bit in college, and now now I'm just starting to listen again to music, you know. But and, and I go on YouTube, I listen to the same stuff I listened to when I was 14. But. So we're, I think we may be the same person because I started with the uh, the Van Halen yeah. and. Uh, particularly the misfits and then i, I graduated uh, to digweed uh, uh, so <laughs> yeah yeah so we're probably the same generation <laughs> oh yeah you know almost I mean? possibly. but you were west coast right yeah so that would be that would explain digweed oh absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um now another work actually i saw that i didn't realize was yours was called consumer information Oh, wait, is this like a trash can work? Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't even remember any of these titles. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I have one. I have another one in that series here, or I do somewhere. Uh, somewhere in the studio I'm looking for, but I seem to have misplaced it. But yeah, it's a kind of series of sculptures, ready, almost ready-mades that I've been making that are uh, trash cans that are filled with um, uh, soda cans, which are usually like zero or like these zero calorie soda cans crushed up and so it's a kind of um trash can filled with crushed up soda cans and it mm -hmm. and that series started because i had seen somebody just when it, in my daily life i had a meeting with somebody and i looked in their trash can and it was the only thing in the head and it was crushed up diet diet coke zero cans and i thought wow that's such an intense life you know what i mean and so i've been making a series of those for a couple of years i have like pepsi zero i've done bacardi zero so every few years i make one yeah wow that's amazing how did you see that like is it on tumblr or something uh, it was actually on a tumblr yeah, and yeah. i was i spent a lot of time on tumblr because i uh have no life and so <laughs> and so one of the things that uh i do is i actually scope a lot of art mm -hmm. and one of the things i found was there's a thing called uh I think it's just object database is okay. what it's called. And it's a bunch of pictures of, it's a lot of ready-made type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of people doing uh, homages to Duchamp yeah. uh, mm -hmm. by, so one of the things that people do is they'll, they'll take a picture of something actually out in the world and they'll just Photoshop it into a gallery setting. Oh, interesting. Uh, and so my personal favorite was the uh, fountain in Chicago. Uh, the very famous one yeah. at the beginning of Married with Children. Yeah, yeah. And they photoshopped that into the Tate Modern. Oh, it's not a bad idea, actually. No, it's not a bad idea at all. And, uh, and I think already it's won the Turner Prize. So. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so what is the name? Is that a blog? What is yeah, it? I think okay. it's called Object Database. Yeah, it's funny to me, like, works of mine that people didn't really even pay attention to when I made them have weird second life's on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like these trash cans or these drawings I made. It's funny that different works kind of have a real resonance in different arenas. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. Twitter or Tumblr is one that I'm constantly surprised by. You know, it's really fascinating. Yeah. And you are an active Twitter. I'm a Twitter. Yeah. I think I just made, I said Tumblr, Twitter instead of Tumblr, but Twitter, I am an active Twitter user. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, um, 
I was a delicious user. That was my. Wow. That was my. That was the social network that really I loved with all my heart, and and towards the end of Delicious, they had a little button you could press that would port all your deliciouses to your Twitter. And so for the first few years when I was on Twitter, I wasn't actually on Twitter, but nobody really knew it. But I just wasn't replying to anybody because I was actually on Delicious. And then and then Delicious kind of like people stopped using it. So it wasn't that fun anymore. And so then I I went over to Twitter. But yeah, I, I used Twitter. Yeah. yeah. And do you find do you find it's actually easy to be an artist on Twitter nowadays? Um. Well, again, I, I might even bring it back to my previous answer. You, you have to find the resonance of the social network. And so, again, like, I find a lot of things where I'm like, hey, I have this great show coming up, and it's like two likes. But then I'll like, Twitter something really funny. And, like, so I feel like just like anything else, it's good for, it's good for certain things, and it, they are always a surprise, you know. So, yeah, of course it's really good, but you have to get into it and find it's find its frequency you know yeah i actually i will only join a social network if i have a need for one mm-hmm. such as uh, for twitter it's my comedy stream now so yeah it's great it's great for comedy yeah a plus oh. yeah <laughs> you know yeah hey, i got it right <laughs> yeah no i think i think really like small funny jokes mm-hmm. are really amazing and also it's okay for images people i think they built it into their their system now where actually images automatically show up but of course you'd want to be on instagram if you're really doing images but anyway this is like yeah. this is like a rabbit hole we're going <laughs> do you know what i mean oh but it's a great rabbit hole. i know i know i know you're in the center of it being on the west coast i mean i feel so far removed you know oh yeah and the thing is out, out west we're like you know we really want to be where the stuff is happening you know we got to get out to new york oh really that's <laughs> yeah. so funny yeah facebook new york actually is a big new thing right now is that all the Facebookers out in California want to be transferred to the New York campus. Yeah, I do. I, I, I do. I would understand that, right? Because that New York is still really fun. I mean, you know what I mean? And they were mm-hmm. saying that years ago, like, oh, no, it's OK. Like when New York was trying to attack, attract more tech stuff, like mm-hmm. they were saying that it would eventually work out because New York is like people want to be in New York. What's interesting, I didn't know Facebook had even... I didn't even know they had an office here. Oh, of course they probably have. Yeah. Yeah. I, if I would have thought about it, I would have known. But yeah, I've been a, I've been to the Google office oh, really? a long time ago. Yeah, and Microsoft had. Yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the Google office in New York is fairly nice, from what I understand. I haven't been there yet. Yeah, I think I went like the uh, night it opened, and I, I don't think it was nice yet. But it was. I remember seeing blimps. It was very fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what are you actively working on at the moment? Oh, wow. What a great question. What am I actually doing right now? Well, we just on Friday launched a new kind of... I started an activewear brand called Archangel Surfwear, which is a kind of clothing and merchandise line that I started. And the kind of conceit is, is that it's all every, like a kind of clothing line for being on your computer. You know, so it's like a surf surfing the internet clothing line. So it's a lot of like really, awesome. a lot of really white, comfy cotton. What you know, and so I just launched that. I mean, I have some stuff over there. If you see on that shelf, like there's a hat, and that oh, that's yeah. a bed sheets there. If you could see in that plastic package. Awesome. So, yeah. so I just that is like my. And so actually, this week we're kind of taking a, it's slow because it was a lot of work to mm-hmm. do that and and what we what this week and next week is called archive week and we we take two weeks to tidy up our hard drives and 
get all of our thing, you know, because if you don't do that, it just spirals out of control. As you know, yes. being from the Computer History Museum, that it's really important to take time to, to tidy up your hard drive. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I applaud you greatly for that. Thank you. Well, it's, we haven't <laughs> gone... Yeah, we're trying, do you know what I mean? Because you just lose... That's the thing. I think the thing in the future is that you just lose stuff. You have so much stuff, and it's so hard to take care of it. You're just going to lose it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like photographs and... If you don't, it takes so much work to like not lose stuff these days. Yeah. Hey, speaking about lost stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a perfect transition. <laughs> yeah, perfect I know, transition. This is exactly what's on my mind all the time, yeah, <laughs> which is why it's great to talk to you because it is what's on your mind all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, tell me about how these images on the Amiga. Well, let's start actually at the very beginning. Uh, you describe yourself as an acolyte of Andy Warhol. Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge fan. A buff, I guess that's the word, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've read his diary. Like, when I first moved to New York and started becoming an artist, you know, I read his diaries. And for me, they were really helpful because they taught me in a way how to be an artist, but not, like, in the poetic sense, in the, like, day-to-day sense. Like, I went to work today. I made three paintings. Then I went to an opening. Like, a real kind of, like, this is what you do if you're... The life of an artist. And mm-hmm. it was very helpful to me. And, of course, the work I'm a huge fan of. Like, I, between Duchamp and Warhol, those are the two kind of big, big um, influences, you know, for the kind of art I make, you know. And So, yeah, definitely. So, I was a huge fan. And, and um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. And then... So Andy, at the end of his life, I actually just wrote a blog about this last year, about how uh, he had worked on the launch of the Amiga. Yeah, I think I saw your blog post. It was one thing. Oh. There was a few things, like, about every year, there somebody really was like, hey, there was this, Andy was on the Amiga. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. people were, like, pretty, so yeah, anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah. I just cut you off. Yeah. Oh, no, no, and yeah. uh, one of the things I love about uh, about that story is that it it was really a transition like, when I approached it at first, it was, you know, they came to me, can you write something about Andy Warhol for the museum's blog? I'm like, yes, I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was really the transition of the first time that to be taken seriously as an artist, it was an artist working in the personal computer medium instead of the big, massive mm-hmm. uh, supercomputer mediums and all that. And, uh, you know, it helped that it started with Andy Warhol, who was probably the biggest name artist in the world at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when did you first hear about the existence of this stuff? Well... I knew, like yourself and a lot of people, about that YouTube video of, mm-hmm. and him being involved in the launch. Uh, you know, also because it's mentioned in his diaries. He says, I, I'm going to do this how to paint thing that this computer company wants me to do. Uh, although the existence of the actual disc, I didn't know. In fact, I didn't know at all until I approached the Warhol Museum and asked them, you know, do you, did he have an Amiga? You know, because it was unclear whether he whether he actually had one or they just kind of sat him down in front of one for the launch, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it turns out he had an Amiga, and then I asked, well, did he have any disks and hard drives? Because I didn't know. He also could have had hard drives. I mean, there. I, I think. I'm not sure. But I think there were hard drives for mm. the first-generation Amiga. Not positive. I, Unlikely. Yeah, I don't think so, but maybe. Uh, yeah, I'd have to ask the computer club. Well, you actually, I'd have to ask you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unlikely. I've, unlikely, yeah. Yeah, unlikely, exactly. Maybe a little later on. Yeah. Um, 
uh, but they said we we do have his stuff and yeah there's we have his discs and we've never looked at them and so i was like wow i mean so i so i didn't know that they existed until basically i approached them and matt warbican who's their head archivist had had known about the discs and had had kept them you know really well took care of them do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and so so that was another great thing is that they were they were as well taken care of as they could like re- so they were in incredible shape you know what i mean incredible shape you know? i can't imagine somebody as prolific as warhol having done work on the amiga and somebody sitting on these discs and never having tried to have looked at the images on them i could i could explain that actually <laughs> there's a really good reason one is that uh well the main reason uh is that Warhol was a hoarder, a maximum 120% hoarder. So the amount of material that the Warhol Museum has is mind-boggling. And so not only do they have these 40 discs, they have like hundreds of thousands of other things that Warhol left. You know, because, um, you know, one, just like him collecting stuff, but two, you know, his time capsules. Do you know about that yes. project? I mean, he did I, He did that project. I mean, there's just, like, it's crazy. And so, actually, the museum has so much stuff that they're still going through it. Do you know what I mean? So, okay. so it's really, really, we have to look at Warhol here on this one. I mean, that guy left a lot of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And two, it does take a lot of... Uh, uh, the right moment hadn't happened yet where the people with the right knowledge, you know what I mean? Like it, it, the right moment kind of had to happen because he didn't want to do it in a a half-assed way. And so, and this was the right moment because just across the, you know, just across Pittsburgh was the Carnegie Mellon computer club who, do you, have you ever, do you you have any interactions with the Carnegie Mellon computer club? We have not actually. It's a a group I have heard of certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I I have not actually seen any of their stuff recently. Oh man. They have some amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, you know, they did a demo for the Apple Lisa. Mm -hmm. Did you ever see that? The iLisa? Yeah. The iLisa. They, and that, you know, has a, they wrote a sound card for the Lisa. The sound, really? the sound on the iLisa demo is generated from a sound card that they built for the Apple Lisa. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they are like so f- advanced. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh. And so, yeah, like in this project, you will have to, you'll have to interview them next because they yeah. were like, they were, and you know, they do a lot of, um, they've built a lot of digital video cards for old computers so they're tapping like the signals before they go to analog getting these pixel perfect gorgeous gorgeous outputs on these old a lot of these old machines yeah they are like really and so the apple the ilisa demo online and is like uh you know um that's why it looks so great Mm -hmm. anyway so i can't go i can't say enough good things about the Carnegie Mellon Computer Club. They were really the reason that all this happened because I was just kind of like a middleman. <laughs> but they were like, you know, we need to do it with the cryoflux. We need to do it at the lowest level. And, you know, so they were the kind of, um, they were the people really uh, pushing, making sure that everything was a real high level archival preservation project. Yeah, and the best practices done there were amazing. Uh, it was really, it was 
it was museum quality, if not better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's and I think again, like that that moment hadn't wasn't that moment wasn't possible until now because they were just sitting on the other side of the town. Yeah, yeah. We all the the idea was we were to only touch the discs once, you know, and we only needed to touch them once, which was really really super great. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, the discs were in really good shape, really really good shape, which we were surprised mm-hmm. we were surprised how good of shape they were in. Yeah. And there was yeah. even under the, those conditions, there were several that were not readable, right? Oh, you'll have, I, I can't remember their report. There was a couple mm-hmm. that had a little bit of corruption on them. I'm, you know, I'm not positive. Like, okay. some had corruption, but overall, like, it was only a couple. Oh, yeah. 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 And I mean, and it's, it's odd is we always worry about bit rot in the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that we've noted is that while, yes, you might lose a bit here or there, there is a lot of, there is still, particularly the old stuff, there is a lot of noise that you can actually lose that and it really doesn't affect much. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know that, but I, <laughs> but I, 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 I do know that they were pretty happy about what, like what was able to be gotten off of them. You yeah. know what I mean? And what's your take on the actual works that you y'all found? I mean, my personal take is that they were really amazing. You <laughs> know what I mean? Especially, I don't know if you saw the one, um, uh, which there's a little bit of it in the in the documentary that was made on Vimeo by the Carnegie Museum of uh, kind of uh, Marilyn Monroe that he had kind of splashed all over. I don't know if you'd seen that one. I had seen that one. Fantastic. I mean, really, what was amazing to me is like, it seemed like he really, he seemed to get it really quick, like really (laughs) quick and how to work with the computer and how to work with the paint bucket I don't know. I was shocked at how good they were. They, yeah. did, you know, and you could see like a couple ones where obviously he's trying to figure out how to use the copy paste, how to use the paint bucket, and then all of a sudden they just start. They just there's a couple that are just amazing, like full, like he couldn't have done any better. Shocking in a way, yeah. you know. I think the one called Andy One is my favorite of them. Yeah, the one that's all yeah, they're crazy, right? Yeah, it's wild. And it, it looked and I mean, I, Andy said it the best himself. He said uh, it's a machine that allows me to paint like I paint. Yeah, exactly. And that was it. It was wonderful. And I really the I thought the Campbell suit cam was the only one that I was sort of like, well, it's him just doing what he does. <laughs> but but the rest of them, I was like, oh, these are great. <laughs> yeah, they're so wild, and and you never there's already wrong. Like obviously, whoever divine, designed Graphic Craft, which I guess was. Um, they would never have wanted that <laughs> program to be used that way, you know. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's another thing that I found out recently is that Graphicraft referred to files not as not as like files or images. It, you had you had to go to like open painting and save painting. So it actually really? referred to them as paintings, which I thought was really really cool. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So I've been kind of referring to the files as paintings lately, just because it's so kind of confusing. <laughs> Yeah, but people forget the first metaphor for drawing on a computer was painting, right? Yeah. Mac paint, paintworks. Um, That's and, true. And even I had forgotten that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Huh, I never put that together. Yeah, because like I think through Photoshop, people's mind was reset to photography, right? The metaphor. And then Illustrator, I guess, is ink and ink and whatever. Yeah. But yeah, but it's, we all kind of, I think we're all of the age where we learned to paint on a computer but never realized it. Wow. Now, now here's my, my big question. Given, let's say Andy lived another 10 years. Uh-huh. Let, let, well, let's say 15 until 2000. Mm-hmm. What do you think he would have done in that time? Well, I, um, 
definitely in the Amiga World article, he's very clear that he would love to print some things out in order to test color schemas for his paintings. Like he, he was already thinking the with the Amiga, oh, if I could print out different color um, combinations of my paintings, it'll help me paint. And, and I could only imagine that if he had lived, he would, you know, printers would have gotten bigger. I mean, up until 90, I mean, 90 is about when printing, you could probably do a pretty big print. I think Jeff Koons was doing pretty big prints in the 90s. Yeah, he was actually. Yeah, and so I think that he would have def. I see no reason why he wouldn't have embraced everything that the kind of digital would have to offer. I mean, you know, he embraced a video so early. He embraced film. He embraced, I mean, he would just kind of do anything, you know? I, I really do believe that YouTube was created in the image of Andy Warhol's brain. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it would have been really wonderful to see what, what, uh, what he would have done or not done, or like it would maybe he would have done a really boring YouTube. Who knows? You know what I mean? Uh, he might have been into those ten-hour videos that people post. Like a pink, a sweeping pink noise is my personal favorite. Is it? Is it ten hours of sweeping? It's ten hours pink? of picking oh, sweep noise. That sounds fantastic. That sounds fantastic. Like maybe he would, you know, or or maybe he would have found like, wow, now I could actually. Up, you know, so some of his videos were that, or films were that long. So maybe he would have thought, "Great, I finally put my films online." I don't know, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like your other artistic styles, were there any other artists that really inspired you? Uh, besides Warhol and Duchamp, I mean, there's a couple artists who are maybe not in the fine art realm that I loved. Gary Larson is number one. Oh, Farside. Farside. Yeah, exactly. one of my favorites. I grew up with it. Uh, yeah, I grew up with it too. And really, I think growing up, I mean, Warhol, I kind of knew who he was. I kind of knew who Herring was. But La- Gary Larson was. Like, I, I drew like him in school, and I just, I knew every comic. I have the Bible. Do you have the Bible? Yes. yes. Yeah, so cool. Uh, so Gary Larson is a big influence on me to this day. Um, in terms of early, the, you know, the early internet was a really big thing for me and still. So I don't know if you know Pokey the Penguin. Pokey the Penguin? No. Oh, fantastic MS Paint comic series oh. that's been going on for a long time. Oh, that takes me back. Yeah. This Pokey is like, the Penguin. Yeah, like 98. Yeah. I mean, it's still around and Pokey is has it? a Twitter now. Really? <laughs> Oh, uh, wow. You have just lessened my productivity at work by yeah, 10%. Yeah, and so that still to me is one of the best things on the internet. And then, you know, early net art like Jody.org yeah. is, and, um, and uh, you know, another early net artist, Oliala Alina. I don't know if you've, oh, you have to, Oliala Alina and Dragon Eschwinspeed. I don't know if you've seen their one terabyte of kilobyte age project. Oh my god! You know this, yeah? yeah. Okay, fantastic, wow. okay, right? That's what those are. Wow. Yeah, high watermark. Yeah. You know, um, um, that's an, uh, so that's a project that obviously was a, a big influence on this Amiga project. Just like mm-hmm. you know, like uh, and yeah, so they're doing great work. So mm-hmm. lots of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I notice also on your webpage you list two influences. You list the far side. Oh, do I list it? Yeah. Okay. And you also list Axel oh, Rose. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely kept up with Axel. I don't know if you've kept up with Axel, but I'll tell you the the reason the reason I like the reason I like Axel now is because do you remember like he was like for seven years nobody knew what he had done, 
And I remember somebody told me this story, and these were the kind of stories that were floating around about him. They're like, oh, I heard that he got stopped coming over. This isn't going to make much sense, but I'm just going to say it. Coming over from the Mexican border, and all he had with him was a duffel bag, and it had a gun and a crystal ball. And that was the kind of like stories that were floating around about Axel Rose. And I just thought, boy, this... There, I don't know, it's like... There are rock stars still, but he was like of a special kind of make, and 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 the, this kind of person has a, such a power, and even today, and so, and just to keep track of him, and I don't know, it's just I like the whole idea of Axl Rose, then now in between the journey, and so to me, there's a lot of interesting stuff there, and of course, I was a Guns N' Roses fan when I was a kid, and that it will never, ever, ever, ever leave me ever, you know. <laughs> oh. And that is an excellent point to end on, I think. Yes. Thank you for listening. 